Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and remembering that there is a whole world that exists outside of Twitter. I'm Rachel Perkins, and by Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. According to my uncle, retirement is not too hard, and I am up for the challenge. <laughs> Today on the show, we're talking with Amy Cardwell, very recently VP of Engineering at American Express and temporarily between roles, which I'm sure she'll tell us about. Yeah, thanks for being here, Amy. And uh, Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's jump right in. Tell us about your path to leadership and management and this uh, time between roles. Uh, sure. Wow, I don't know which where, where to start. But um, <laughs> the first thing I'll say is I have absolutely no right to be where I am. Uh, I did not graduate from high school, and I did not go to university. Whoa. So as a leader who is in now the C-suite um, that is super, super rare. And I even just recently had an interview somewhere that uh, was like, well, tell me about your degree. And I'm like, really? I'm 52. You really need to know about my degree? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this is going to be good. But I'll say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll say that not having the same background as everyone else is, as you might imagine, both a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very complicated for me in times when people ask me about my degree or where I went to college, um, or it used to be difficult. Now I just say it because I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I think it gives me a very different perspective about how to get through problems, how to interact within corporations. I tend to be really direct and really transparent, and sometimes in very large corporations, that's unusual mm -hmm. and makes you kind of stand out a little yeah that's interesting wow well so so go back to like you you didn't complete high school and go back to I dropping assume, out of high school think, yeah you didn't you i didn't. believe dro i believe dropped out is the term that you're looking uh -huh. for <laughs> but I, I mean i imagine your first job then wasn't you know sea level at a uh financial thing so how, how did you get started what was yeah. what were what were you doing like maybe even why'd you drop out uh, I dropped out because I just could not bear it another day. Um, I I felt like, and you know, this is the teenager in me, right? I was smarter than all the people in school, and that you know, it was a, an utter waste of my time. <laughs> I started working night work from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. catering food for the airlines at BWI Airport. I was born in Baltimore, oh. and um, because I was working night work, I got like an extra 50 cents an hour bump on minimum wage, and I thought I'm rich. <laughs> Raking it in. <laughs> <laughs> I could afford an apartment and my car insurance. Uh, by the way, note, with minimum wage, with just over minimum wage. <sighs> and I couldn't understand what I was possibly, exactly, right? <laughs> I couldn't understand what I was possibly going to gain by finishing high school, so I left. Now, back in those days, um, I had a guidance counselor who understood that I had a checkered past and my parents had divorced and I was young and I was raised by my father. So he said, well, please come to night school. And I'm like, dude, I'm not coming to night school. And he's like, please come to night school. And I'm like, night school is for remedial kids. I'm not a remedial kid. I'm not going to night school. And he said, just come one time. So I did go one time and he said, fine. I just wanted to make sure you would show up. You can go get your diploma and you can come pick up your diploma. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they don't do that anymore. Oh. I don't think. <laughs> That's incredible. That, that is great. And, and, uh, the, did, did that person share any further details with you about why they chose to do that? They were just like, I believe you, you know what you're talking about. So 
Get on with it. Well, I mean, you know, he'd known me for a while, but he did say, no, you may not graduate on stage. And I'm like, good. I didn't want to graduate on stage anyway. I dropped out of high school, dumbass. (laughs) I didn't walk either. (laughs) (laughs) You can keep the cap and the cheesy gown and all that crap. Yeah. So I did go to a community college. I was on the dean's highest honors uh, for my AA degree at uh, Essex Community College. Uh, That served me absolutely zero either, but I did it because my grandmother wanted to see me uh, get some college, and I did, and that was sort of, check that off my list, went to college, graduated with an AA, and then, um, you know, I had a really interesting career. I did a bunch of stuff. My very first jobs, like many people, were McDonald's, Taco Bell, Wendy's. Mm -hmm. I worked for Olin Mills for a while, taking photographs of people, which I thought was particularly fun, and I worked there with one of my best friends, so we used to take photographs of each other all the time. (laughs) Um, uh, then I sort of started my grandmother had been working at Allied Bendix Aerospace uh, Aerospace Industries big on the east coast and specifically in the Baltimore Washington corridor so I was working there folding blueprints which will give you another example of how old I am Mm -hmm. and (laughs) high fives and the government exactly (laughs) the government was rolling out this new data processing they called it system called LEAF and they were looking for people who knew something about computers. And I mean, I had, and I will tell you, if you ask me for the single most pivotal moment in my career, I'm going to tell you the stupidest thing you've ever heard, which is they taught me to type in fifth grade. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know that sounds crazy, but the ability to spill out onto a keyboard my thoughts as quickly as I can think them, much more quickly than I can write them, mm-hmm. has been really a big deal throughout the course of my career yeah yeah i can imagine and it's the same for me and then at what point did you get access to the internet because that was also huge for me was you know access chat and you know and talking to folks online making those connections 100%. yeah yeah so so let me tell you um the at allied bennett's aerospace and also martin marietta and also johns hopkins applied physics lab my general job was taking early Macs, setting them up as networks, and then teaching crusty old 50-year-olds like <laughs> myself how to use computers. <laughs> and many of them had been using drafting boards their whole lives, and so they were not that delighted about this girl in acid wash jeans and high tops trying to teach them how to do something on a little screen with a mouse. Oh, but they didn't make you wear tights and, and, uh, and pumps to work? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> or yeah, nude pantyhose, yes. Exactly. <laughs> But that was the thing that sort of got me interested in computers. And then that skill transferred to my next sort of, I'll call it career in air quotes, um, which was direct marketing advertising. And this is a big deal because direct marketing advertising, all that stuff that was happening in the internet when you and I first got into it about one-to-one marketing and figuring out how to market directly to an individual instead of to a group of people that's exactly the same process that we use in direct marketing advertising. Mm -hmm. So I came into those advertising agencies both as someone who could do package design or design a direct marketing campaign, but also somebody who um, was doing their systems administration for their small networks with Quark Express and whatever other applications we were using back then. So those two things together, that's what set me up for my first real internet job. And it was on AOL or some other There were several BBSs at the time, along with AOL, that I had gotten involved with at that time. So absolutely agree with you. That was the gateway drug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, uh, had you managed anybody or were you still just an individual contributor at that point? 
I had not managed anybody yet. Uh Um, I moved from uh, Baltimore to California with the second advertising agency that I was with called Barry Blau and Partners. Mm -hmm. They had opened up a San Francisco office and my husband had oddly enough gotten transferred that, you know, basically gotten transferred to San Francisco. And I said, well, either I'm quitting or you have to transfer me to San Francisco because we're moving. And they're like, "Ah, sure, whatever, go to the San Francisco office. Um, And and history started there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sega hired me as a package designer. I worked at Sega twice, actually. The first time I did package design and someone was walking through the office and said, have you seen this thing that Sony has called an internet site? We want an (laughs) internet site. Who knows how to build an internet site? And I'm like, I know how to build an internet site. Yes, I can do this. <laughs> so immediately I stopped doing package design and started building uh, the Sega website, the first one ever. I had, uh, we had some folks from Anderson Consulting, of course, you know, consultants, uh, the virus that they are, were already investing. Way ahead uh, of you, yeah. Sega. <laughs> right, exactly. And they had never built an internet site for anyone either. So they said, we'll not charge you if you let us build your internet site with you and i said okay that seems reasonable so we built it together um they just wanted to learn how to do this yes well they also wanted a big brand that they could Uh show off yeah yeah the the logo so you're exactly you're asking me something sorry um you you may know this but this is where i hired one of our close friends james home to be my um to be my intern, basically, I, I, I was looking at the at his website and I thought this is one of the most beautiful websites I've ever seen. I should hire this guy. So I called him up and I was like, <laughs> you want to come work for me? And he said, yeah. So he, you know, packed everything he owned in his Toyota Celica and drove across the country and became my intern. That's wow. amazing. I did not know that story. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that? Was that the first time you were managing then? Was that Sega and hiring this this friend of yours? That was the first time I was managing. Oh, how did you There's feel There's another it? funny story related to other friends, of course. Uh, Brian Mosley was the second person I hired at Sega, but I had left Sega by the time Brian started. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and you may talk about him a little bit later. I'm not sure. I, I probably will because we're <laughs> still uh, colleagues. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a long route for both of you, I know. Indeed. Um, long, indeed. strange trip. So yeah, when so you got you got you got uh, James home uh, on staff with you, and possibly the you're sort of dealing with the consultants. Uh, how did you feel about having this sort of splash of authority? I loved it, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at the time I was able to hire each person, and it, there was the understanding of I'm hiring you. We're going to work together on this thing, and it's always I've always been a kind of like let's collaborate on this deliverable as opposed to I am the boss and you shall do the thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, so that wasn't a real problem. My real authority issues, if you'll pardon the phrase, didn't come until I started (laughs) taking over much larger teams and teams of people who were already intact. Mm -hmm. But before I get there, I just want to take a quick detour back to Sega. So we're doing package design and then we're, um, transferring over to build the internet site with Anderson Consulting. It actually turned out great. There was a database that that powered mm. different content depending on which game system you had. So you could look up games that were just for Dreamcast as an example. So it was kind of high tech at the time. 
Um, yeah. That got me into Netscape, uh, which is the best job I've ever had up until just recently. Um, you know, it was about, it was 1997 when I started at Netscape and I was a contractor while they went public and then was there for several years after until they were bought by AOL. But that whole like sleeping on the floor, working 15 hours, building the internet for our parents, not, mm -hmm. not like nobody else understanding that we were really going to change the world was the most fun ever. And also yeah. gave me an opportunity to manage people and, you know, sort of ha both have my hands dirty and also have some leadership responsibility. Yeah. Well, wait, go, go into more detail there. Why, why was it, it was the most fun thing because you were building this thing you really believed in or because you were sleeping in the office and working 15 hours and felt like you're on the front lines with these people or all of the above? All like, is the it the community? It, yeah, it okay, so the community built in the trenches is yeah. even part of that. That's right. Sorry, I mean, ahead. we all knew that we were building something that was amazing. Yeah. And we all knew that not very many people in the world knew how to do what we were doing or even understood the vision of what we were building. Uh, I'll give you an example. My role, because, you know, I, I just built the Sega thing. My role at, uh, at Netscape was to build the first online store using the Netscape merchant server. And they weren't building the online store to sell Netscape stuff. That would be ridiculous. Uh, well, you know, who's going to buy a cert server online or who's going to buy a proxy server online? Um, but in fact, the reason I was building the store with my great friend, Dave Barriman, who invented the pop-up window, sorry to say, and he'll forever be remembered for that. <laughs> Shaking <laughs> fist. That's right. <laughs> At least he didn't invent the blink tag. That goes to another person. Um, the reason we were building the store is because they wanted to go out to client websites and show people, look, you can sell things on the internet. And nobody, and when they were talking about it, nobody believed them. So the idea was we'd build a store, we'd stuff it full of Mozilla dolls and Mozilla t-shirts and whatever. The sales team would go to, you know, Amazon, I'll just, it was a little early for that, but would go to a, a merchant and say, look, you can sell stuff online. And they would click through and they would buy something. And two or three days later, the item would actually show up. And that closing the loop on the sales call, they were sure was going to like help people understand that it was going to be a big deal. This, by the way, while we didn't believe ourselves that we couldn't, could sell our own software online. Huh. So how did that go down? I mean, like, did that actually work at that time or did it still take a while? It did actually work. It, it worked a lot better than just talking about it. And then um, Dave Behrman and I, when we finished loading all of the tchotchkes and whatever, and, you know, it, it, we had fulfilled that mission. One long weekend, President's Day or something, we just stayed at work and we loaded in all of our products. We you know, used all the images from the website and the text from the website, from the each page, proxy server, cert server, every kind of software that we could see. And when Tuesday came around and our boss came in, we said, can we please, please, please just put our products live? And he's like, ah, that's ridiculous. Who's going to spend $2,000 on the internet? Mm -hmm. But but Cameron, you have to let us do this. I mean, it, so what if they don't buy it? At least, I mean, how legitimate are we if we don't even sell our own stuff? So they capitulated and it really was capitulation. And uh, <laughs> within the first year we were, oh, it, was it was less than a year, but it was very soon before we were, of course, selling more than the highest grossing human sales team, because how could we not? <laughs> people don't want to yeah. talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> then they were like, wait a minute, this thing's going to work, isn't it? <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> but that was the end of e-commerce. I mean, nobody ever sold anything on the internet again. Ever again, right. Yeah. So it's a bummer about that because you can just imagine how it would have been if... <laughs> <laughs> how big it would have been if somebody had just figured out how to crack that further. <laughs> wow, so that was actually where the pop, why he developed the pop-up window because you really wanted to buy a cert server and a proxy server together. So when we noticed that you put one or the other one in your cart, we were like, are you sure you don't want this too? Um, and that was literally why he developed that. Oh, it's wow. your fault. It's your fault. It is. Oh, yeah, okay. sorry. All right. All right. I forgive you. <laughs> I mean, think about how many people, though, have had jobs just writing software that blocks that pot. So, like, really, he's created, like, a whole economy. And we should Indeed. thank him. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I think the Mozilla Foundation actually did some really solid work after that blocking pop-up windows. So maybe it's sort of like Netscape giveth and Netscape taketh away. Ouroboros. There you go. <laughs> eating its own tail uh cool so so how big was your team at that point when you were it was it sounds like it was just a few people still at sega it was two people at netscape it was two people Mm. um i didn't start to get a bigger team until i went back to sega for my second time i went back again after i left netscape as vp of e-commerce for sega of america and i'll tell you one of my funniest authority stories that i actually have in my back catalog which is I was hired by a guy named Brad Huang, who was a, an investor in the in he had made a lot of money in the 80s investing, and he took over licensing of Sega of America, not Sega of Japan. This is important. And he said, you know, just let me have the brand for a little while and see what I can do with it. And they were like, sure, okay. So he hired me as VP of e-commerce, years younger than I should have been. Right? This was I don't know what he was thinking, but he saw a spark and he was like, you're going to be my VP. And I'm like, okay, uh-huh. boss. And we put together a really great e-commerce website, to be fair, with uh, some amazing people. I had some people from uh, that I brought over from Netscape and some from some other places. But the weirdest thing was that we went to a meeting once with all of the executives from Japan. And I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a cis female. And it was really funny because those executives were physically incapable of talking to a woman. They just, uh-huh. unless I was bringing them coffee, they could not have a conversation with me. So they would, you know, ask Brad a question and then Brad would look at me and I would answer the question and they would ask Brad another question and Brad would look at me and I would answer the question. This went on for hours. They never spoke to me. They never addressed me directly. Uh, Well, I wish I could say I was surprised. Yeah, there's so many places where that's normal. It's just still now it's normal, right? Yeah. 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 Even now. So, yeah. So, shocking. <laughs> so, this guy that, that, that brought you on, Brad, seems like, you know, he, he, he knew what was up, uh, even though he may he have what was up. He was taken great. a bigger risk than he may, may have. I mean, like, what was your title uh, when you left Netscape? Uh, director of e-commerce, okay. maybe? So. I don't know. Then I went on. I, there, I've had so many little jobs in between. I went to Auction Watch, which was um, like a, a site for sniping eBay. Like, it. It was ostensibly a meta search engine across all of the budding auction sites at the time, but eBay won. So it was like, well, why do we need a layer on top of eBay? And then we started doing sniping. It was, you know, a weird little Wild West time when we were pretty much throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what would stick. Yeah, yeah. so that, I guess going so, from director to VP huh. is not that, you know, out, uh, kind of outlandish of a jump, no, but, but still, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it felt pretty outlandish to me. I was like, sure, whatever. And, and by the way, therein lies an interesting lesson uh, that, that I've tried to impart to everybody I mentor, which is 
if you are already positive that you can do the job, you're not aiming anywhere near high enough. Uh-huh. You really need to feel like you're kind of out on the edge there, that you're not really sure if you can do it. You're kind of on the seat of your pants a little bit. Sorry, new job. Don't get upset yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like they say it from Real Genius. If someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So at that point, you're, uh, you know, you're working, uh, you're a VP already. What happened next? There was one more role and then the, and I can't remember which one it was. And then the big market crash happened and, and maybe I got, I, actually, I think Sega was that one. So the, the crash of 2000 where um, none of us had jobs anymore or very few of us had jobs anymore. I took off work for a long time. Um, I would say a solid year before I found another job. And my next job was as an executive assistant for a dude who ran a real estate company. where I took dictation and planned travel and did office management skills. and How was that? How did you feel about that after your previous lofty, you know, role? Yeah. So besides happy to get a paycheck, I felt like, um, you know, so I don't exactly agree with this anymore, but they say, you know, never make your employees do something that you wouldn't do. And I'm like, I know how to do all this stuff. They weren't quite sure what to do with me because I was always trying to make the office more efficient or, you know, (laughs) we could run better if we did this. And they're like, yeah, honey, you're the the secretary. Just sit there and do your dictation and then leave when you're done at the end of the day. You know, bored minds. Uh, What is it? Uh, Idle hands or the devil's (laughs) playground? playground. (laughs) Hi, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) So it was funny because when I left there, I took on a a director role at um, an advertising agency again because I'm like, okay, well, I know how to do that. So I'm just going to, you know, I started at the bottom again and I moved up again. And my my boss was like, wow, that's a really impressive jump for you because he didn't know what my background had been because they would never have hired me as an administrative assistant or as a whatever I was, secretary, uh, executive assistant. Um, if they'd known that I had just been a VP, yeah. never would have done it. Yeah, yeah. So I had to sort of yeah. rewrite my resume into one of those resumes that's more about skills and less about where I worked specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, and they hired me, and they were delighted. I had that job for a year, and then I handed it on to another friend who was unemployed, Allison Yates, oh, who had that job for okay. probably a few more years after me. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, and. Did, did you have to take this step back because the market took such a crash or just because you're a woman or some combination of the two? I mean, do you think, um, like, were other people having to take big steps back in their career because of the market crash or were you, uh, you know, more affected by it? I think a lot of people took a step back there. A lot of the people that I had known in San Francisco moved back to the Midwest or wherever they had come from. Um, I feel like it was a really defining moment for us. Um, we kind of been, I mean, I'd been rich, right? I, I, when I was working at Netscape, I was thinking, I just fly down to LA for sushi and then fly back home. Like money was, yeah. money was nothing. Even though, <laughs> even though, yeah, right? Compared to what I make now, I didn't make that much then, but it was more than I'd ever made. And I felt like I was on top of the world. Um, but a lot of us lost a lot of money. Um, and had to start over again. And that's okay. I'm actually grateful for the opportunity to start over again. I mean, obviously, it would be awesome if I'd immediately risen to president or whatever. But the fact is that those times when you have to step back and reevaluate are healthy for 
determining what you want to do next. And I don't think I would have pivoted quite this way had I not had that chance to reset. Well, and probably keeping you grounded, you know, in some sense, like not, uh, uh, I don't know if you struggle with this, but definitely in my career, I feel like the more successful I am, the more worried I am, I'm going to turn into a massive asshole. Yes. You've got us to help you out with that. (laughs) I I, I bring it up every once in a while, like, hey, am am I turning into an asshole here? And the people I work with are mostly like, we'll tell you. Don't worry. Yeah. And we do. We'll because you know. sometimes you do. And the <laughs> fact that people can tell you that means that you're yeah. not turning into an asshole. Yeah. Well, hopefully. But, so uh, as I left. I would uh, imagine that. Go, go ahead. ahead. That's okay. As I left American Express, um, my administrative assistant was like, I'm never, ever, ever going to find another boss like you. And I didn't have the heart to tell her, like, of course I treat you nicely. I've done your job. Like, <laughs> I know what that feels like. Oh, yeah. So rather than skipping through the rest of the resume of, like, how we got from there to here, um, I'm interested in just talking a little bit about where I am now. So uh-huh. oh, yeah. most yeah. Um, just before American Express, I was at eBay, you know, long and winding road to take me to eBay. Um, I went to American Express as a VP of engineering. And one of the things I did not understand is that at very large companies, there are multiple levels of VP. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at Amex, they have bands. Band 45 is the lowest level of VP. Band 50 is the uh, level I was when I left, also VP. Band 60, also VP. And then the next band, band 70, is a senior VP. And I didn't understand wow. this, and it really impacted the way I felt about my job there. Because when I came on board and I realized that I was the lowest level of VP and actually just a step above a director, I was a little bummed. I was thinking that I had done a bad job negotiating for myself because if I'd done a better job, I would have come in at a middle level VP. Because I was looking around me and seeing what do other band 45s look like? What does their <laughs> career experience look like? What do other 50s look like? What does their career experience look like? And so I'm not going to lie, that stuck with me the entire time I was in American Express, even once, especially once I got promoted to band 50, then I was like, okay, now I'm where I should have started. What's it going to take to get me to 60? And there, yeah. you know, I kind of carried a little bit of a chip on my shoulder throughout the time I was there, thinking that if only they'd brought me in at the right level, I would have had, um, I would not have had a bad feeling about my level. So, in leaving and going wherever you're going next, did you know to negotiate? Did you ask this? Am I am I a lower band? Am I a higher band? What's what's this look like? Yes, I did. <laughs> so. I- The role that I'm about to take on is CIO of uh, Optum Financial Services. That is a part of United Healthcare. United Healthcare is a Fortune 6 company, big company. Um, And whereas at American Express, I was two levels below the CIO. So there was the CIO, and then there was my boss, and then there was me. And there could have actually been another boss in between, but they were, you know, nice to me and didn't didn't level me again. Um, I will report directly to the CIO at Optum. And I wanted to understand for this specific role, you know, when I was first talking to the recruiter, I was recruited by an in-house recruiter at Optum. I wanted to understand like, okay, so what, how, how do the levels work? Uh, who am I reporting to directly? Who's overseeing the, my work? And originally they'd said, well, maybe it would report to this other dude. Maybe it would report to John Santelli, who's the CIO. And I'm like, I'm not going to take the role unless it reports to John Santelli. And they were like, oh, 
noted. <laughs> Direct. <laughs> that, so, was, that was, by the way, after all of my interviews, right? You don't, I didn't do that. I, that wasn't the first word out of my mouth. That was after yeah, yeah. a bunch of interviews <laughs> and we all like each other. Well, so, and, and so you report to the CIO and your title is CIO? Are you office of CIO? What's, what's the, no, so um, within a re- very large company, the size of United Healthcare, there's one CIO who is the dude. So he represents the entire pyramid of technology. He is the god at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Underneath of him, there is a direct, just one set of people, each of whom are going to be CIO of a business, a whole business. So Optum Financial yep. Services is the bank and payment arm, meaning if you use United Healthcare and you put your money into a healthcare savings account, um, you're using Optum Financial Services, but also the way the doctors get paid from your healthcare savings account, also part of Optum Financial Services. So it is an entire business and it has a president of that business. So my counterpart is going to be the president of that business. Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah. sense? Gotcha. Yep. And is there a, is there a peer um, CISO or are you in charge of security at that level or what's, how does that work? Kendall, that is an excellent question that I do not know the answer to yet, but ask me again in three months <laughs> and I'm sure I will. I have a lot of questions about how much in a highly regulated industry, yeah. you know, a, a CIO's job is just, you know, yeah. keep shit from burning down. Um I can tell you a little bit about that. So generally, well, at least at, a, at American Express, and I think generally, there is a whole division of the organization that is responsible for infosec, pen testing, um, all the kinds of like, you know, making sure that we're, especially in banking, complying with SOX regulations and all of the other crazy European pri- privacy regulations. I mean, we operate internationally. So there's a right. whole team that does just that, basically. Um, that so that you can... That I wouldn't be responsible if something went down. It just means right. that there's somebody whose day job that is so that it doesn't have to be my day job. So that you can focus on iterating right. on the product and moving yep. things forward. So, yep. no, that's I... Just wow. like somebody else is responsible for like keeping the, you know, cloud, the infrastructure up and running. Um, yep. And that, because that can't be, that can't be the job of everybody who's running every business because that would just yeah, be a really bad be use of resources. At all, I think, or yep. efficient at all. And so uh, you've come all this way and then you had to take, you know, backtrack, start again and come most of this way again. Uh, what has been the hardest lesson you've had to learn to get here? I, I know you, you know, you thought a lot about maybe not having pitched yourself at the right level when you came into Amex. Is that the hardest lesson or is there some other things? Oh, no. Yeah, no. Um, the hardest lesson I've had to learn is to what? So so I, I am a change agent at heart. I, I want everything to be as optimized and efficient as possible. And so in the past, I might say, we have to change this because here is are all the things that are wrong with it. So denigrating uh-huh. the existing solution. Now I understand that if I'm talking to people about the existing solution and I'm denigrating the existing solution, it is very likely that some of the people I'm yeah, talking to built that solution. Such a big lesson. <laughs> and they don't really like me to tell them that their baby is ugly, even if it is. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. the lesson that I've learned, I think, most <clears throat> strongly is to think about the way 
what I'm going to say, what I have to say is going to be perceived by the people who are listening to it, which is a huge lesson and is applicable in every aspect of life, uh, you know, definitely in management and also in totally. marriage, as an example, you know, hey, why, why are you being a jerk is not as much fun as, ouch, that hurt. Um, you know, you get very right. different reactions from those two things. And so now as I attempt to make change, I consider it my job to paint a beautiful future. Let me tell you what we could achieve if we used, you know, GitHub instead of Subversion. Let me talk to you about the beauty of social coding and what, you know, how other companies are doing this and how it benefits engineers. So now I try to paint the visionary picture and bring people on board with me that way. Uh -huh. And yeah. boy, that took a long damn time to learn. Oh yeah, and so many people still need to learn that lesson. I remember my past self being like, you know, no, this is terrible. We need to change it. I mean, my goal is to make things better. What's wrong? You know, why, right. why don't you this listen sucks. to me? <laughs> <laughs> and you just get that reputation as being this, this sort of super negative Hard person. to work with. Yes. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, such a huge lesson. Well, Thank you. I want to ask, uh, Amy, I mean, you've been in all kinds of organizations in senior leadership roles. What, I mean, and, you know, some, some being small tech moving really, really, really fast. And now I imagine, you know, going to the top of a massive mega, you know, like you said, Fortune 6 company. Tell me what's attractive to you about being in leadership at a big, big, big company like that. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. A lot of, so I'm going to go small and then big. A lot of engineers come to me for mentoring and they want to get to be a leader and that's all they care about. They just want to get be a leader. And a bunch of other engineers come to me and say, I have absolutely no interest in leadership. I can't understand why people want to do it. And to the second category, to the first category, I say, okay, great, you know, let's hone your leadership skills and we'll figure out how to get you there, but I want to understand why you want to be there. Like, what's your motivation? There's a sense that you can be too much into, like, I want to tell other people what to do. And it's like, yeah, so go back to start, go figure out what leadership means again, and then we'll talk again in a year. Um, but those people who you can see are actually natural leaders but who have no interest in leadership, I think that they don't understand, and we have these conversations a lot, that you're just like code is solving problems with code, leadership is solving problems with people. Mm -hmm. And you're still solving problems, you're just solving problems with people. And until I think people understand that, they don't really understand what the drive is to be a leader. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you some interesting examples. In this year at American Express, I have had a really transformational, transformational management slash leadership experience. I had a person um, while I was at American Express who really reinvented herself, completely reinvented herself from the bottom up. And when I first took the role, there was this sense of like, well, you know, I'm not sure if she's going to make it. Like there was a bunch of negativity around why maybe this person isn't perfectly suited for this job. And this year, I understood something that I've never really gotten before, which is I'm not just solving problems with people, meaning I'm going to fire anybody who's not the right fit and replace them with somebody who is the right fit. My job is to get the make each person the best that they can be. 
And that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that they're going to be perfect for that role, but I still have to figure out how to advocate and help that one person be the best mm-hmm. that they can be. To leave them better than you found and them. And that really yeah. puts a very different, yeah, it puts a very different spin on what it, because I think many younger managers, myself, younger self included, or less experienced, I guess I should say, managers come in and they say, okay, only 60% of these people are the right people to solve the problem. Therefore, I need to change the team immediately so that I ha- so that I can solve the problem faster. But that's not your only job. Like, yes, you have to ship that product or yes, you have to do whatever it is that you have to do. But you also have to grow every single team member. And so moving into a role as CIO, what I'm super interested about is, A, in the past, I've had a layer of leadership above me who may or may not agree with my methodology or my opinions or my strategy. And so I've often had to both be fighting up and fighting down at the same time. Mind you, that's going to happen here too, right? I still have a boss. Um, But, sorry. Um, But I think having a little bit more runway to be able to do the right thing for both the business and the deliverables and each team member uh, is really the sweetest spot of management that I have yet achieved. Mm-hmm. And and the more authority you have in a larger role, the more ability you have to have that influence. That's right. And and the influence comes at every level, right? It, it, you know, it, it doesn't just have to be my first line managers, leaders, I should be able to dip way down into the organization to create both grassroots change and top-down support. So I don't want to do, right, I don't want to do a lot of top-down stuff. I want the the leadership team to, to develop the right strategy and vision. And then we have to almost infuse that that vision into the entire team in order to make us all, you know, be facing in the right direction. And I love that. I mean, politics is doing that a lot now too, right? The the top, the, the, we call it the sandwich, the top and bottom effect where you're both getting a grassroots effort to do the right thing and also getting the right messages from above. Yeah. Now, I want to I wanna pivot a little bit because uh, I want to make sure we talk about this. Uh, I know you do some public speaking uh, and I wanted to hear about the leadership issues that you like to cover in your public speaking. Uh, great, thanks. Well, one of the things I want to say is I get a lot of questions. When, so I mentor, I probably mentor, spend about 50% of my time mentoring people. Um, that seems like a lot, but um, I think it's about the right amount of time. My job is to solve problems with people. Therefore, I should be spending most of my time with people. So about 50% of the time. And there are two topics that come up most frequently with those folks that I mentor. One of them is how do I differentiate myself? So I am a you know, an engineer or a senior engineer, and there might be 5,000 more of me in my company or 8,000 more of me in my company. How do I stick up so that I can get, I can advance my career? So that's about visibility. And the other one is I don't have any authority. So how can I get people to do what I want them to do, which is influencing. (laughs) (laughs) And I speak on both of those topics. And here's what's funny. I did not know anything about visibility until I got to American Express. So I have a great coach at American Express, Kathy Salit, who wrote the book Performance Breakthrough and is the president of the company called Performance of a Lifetime. Um, she has helped me 
formalize a framework in my mind for both visibility and influence that have been super uh, impactful. But most of the people who come to me for mentoring have seen one of my two talks and they're like, I saw your talk on visibility and I want visibility, so I wanted to talk to you about it. Well, here's the funny thing. The very act of giving the talk is one of the ways that I developed visibility for myself at American Express. And so I try to help them understand that just because I have a vice president title in front of my, you know, in, in front of my name does not mean that somebody told me you should make a deck on visibility and start sharing it with other people. Like it's not a chicken and egg problem. Just go, you are a subject matter expert at something. Just go figure out what that is and then share it with other people and you will develop followership and visibility and then people will start to see you as a level higher than you are. It sounds so simple. <laughs> right. But people look at me, first of all, they look at me like I have two heads. They're like, I can just make a deck and start talking about stuff. And I'm like, uh-huh. And then they're like, why didn't anybody ever tell me this before? I'm like, because it's super obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody had to tell you what to tell you to do. Yeah. Well, no, but I didn't know it either. Right. It, it is one of, you know, until I had a framework for how to think about visibility, I wasn't able to think about every action I was taking and whether it was leaving me personally in a better light or a less good light. Yeah, so for those of you listening, I actually have a, there's a blog post on American Express um, that we'll put in the notes about, which is essentially the visibility talk that I eventually ended up giving at the Grace Hopper conference last year. And then this year I gave a talk about influencing without authority at Grace Hopper, but I haven't done a blog post about that one yet. Oh, well, get on it because I need to read that. <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so then, I mean, along these lines, uh, influencing without authority, and I mean, this is this this podcast is called Authority Issues, right? And we do ask everyone, like, talk about how you feel about having authority over other people and other people having authority over you. Um, I wish that this were a, a video podcast because then I would be able to do the the thing that I usually do, which is. When I'm talking about influencing without authority, I talk about the reaction that I generally have when somebody tells me what to do, which is to put my middle <laughs> finger up. Um, I hate to be told what to do, and I suspect that most people hate to be told what to do. There are, by the way, very strong cultural differences around this. I have found some folks in some cultures who are perfectly happy to be told what to do, and in fact, could be just, I call it the delicatessen, delicatessen worker syndrome. Um, I'd like a half a pound of provolone. Here you go, ma'am, half a pound of provolone. Great, thank you very much. There was no thought involved there. There was no strategy. They sliced the provolone, they hand me the provolone, right? I am not that person. If you want a half a pound of provolone, I'm going to be like, what are you making? <laughs> oh, for a meatball stub, the provolone's going to be perfect, but I have a spicy one over here. Do you want that one instead? Like, I cannot leave well enough alone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping that you guys have seen that video of the submarine captain who taught all of his people to not take orders but instead be independent thinkers if not i'll sh i will surely send it to you oh please do um, i have not oh it's yeah um it is it is so impactful for me that i literally watch it every single quarter every quarter i watch this thing again to remind myself of the things that i'm trying to do it's just like with the change agency right you if you tell people what to do you will get exactly what you told them if you imbue them with a sense of mission and purpose of what you're trying to accomplish, you will suddenly have all of the smartest people in the room 
side by side with you, shoulder to shoulder, trying to solve the problem. And as the guy on the video says, I don't care how smart you are. You know, you can't compete with 100 smart people. You can't even compete with 10 smart people. They're, you're always going to do better if you can get everybody involved in solving the problem or getting the reliefs out or whatever. Yeah. I want to make a joke about a 10X me. engineer here, and I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Apologies. On, I know you got one in there. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's about inspiring other people to do the work that needs to be done and to do it as well as they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the whole idea of telling people what to do. And by the way, almost every big company is infected with this disease, right? Because in the past, it used to be the the CIO or the CTO or somebody at the top is like, thou shalt move 70% of your applications to the cloud. (laughs) And everybody's like, yes, sir, we're moving our applications to the cloud. So they start rebuilding stuff that works perfectly well just to move it to the cloud, which means that they're not actually working on, on, uh, features that need to get out to the customers. They they stop doing real work that is going to move the business forward because they're doing what you told them to do. And that's just stupid. Like, it's just a bad way to do stuff generally. I, I can't think of any situation except for, you know, fighting a fire or something where you're like, you really just got to hold the hose here. You know, I don't know, but yeah. generally don't tell people what to do. You, you sound like You sound like the kind of leader that, you know, people would like to work for. And that yeah. seems unusual. <laughs> unless and, and, unless you really want to be told what to do in which case i'm not your man <laughs> uh-huh. so we're coming up uh, on on time here but i want to also talk to you a little bit about what you uh what you do when you're not at work what are your hobbies what are you interested in lately uh it's funny that you ask one of the things i um attempt to practice and that's why they call it practice is meditation Mm-hmm. Um, I have a real problem sitting in one place still to meditate. I, my back, you know, my body's like my back hurts, my foot's falling asleep. So I have learned to interweave meditation into other things. So I also love to cook. Mm-hmm. And now for me, cooking is a meditative exercise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't need the radio on, would prefer not to have anybody in the kitchen. I can make the meal in 45 minutes and come out of it with this sense of calm that, I can really only get in that way. And I recommend it for people, any kind of meditation or meditative practice that you can do. Because for me, and you were talking about biggest lessons ever, um, I used to react when people said things and now I respond. And meditation is what gave me that tiny little space in between when you said something, like a piece of negative feedback, for an example. And I, you know, before I bit your head off, I go, where's that coming from? What's the right way to respond? And now I can say, huh, that's a really interesting perspective. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> As opposed to, you're an idiot. Like, I don't understand where that's coming from. I don't from. want your spicy provolone. <laughs> and that's another thing for managers. You know, the, the calmest person in the room is the leader, no matter what. When everybody else's hair is on fire and you're like, okay, let's everybody get up and go to the, to the, the fire exits and figure out how we're going to evacuate the building as opposed to like getting oh your hair God. on fire too. Yeah. Best trick ever. Oh my God. I can't tell you how amazing that is when you're just like, interesting. I, I see you in your craziness and I'm just going to be calm and figure out how we're going to get out of this yeah, problem. The, the leader yep. is the calmest yep. person in the room. I love it. I love that. Yeah, this is yeah. reminding me specifically of a friend of mine whose CEO 
creates chaos because they don't know how to be calm. They have to be in constant panic where they they can't. Yeah, rush. they operate best yeah, when they're in the middle of a firefight. I I uh, I can definitely right. relate to that. And so they build firefights to the yes. firefight. Yeah, yeah. one million percent that. Yeah. It's also funny because if we were doing that thing that we were just doing with the spicy provolone and you said, you know, I don't want your damn spicy provolone. Um, and I, and if you were if you were giving me feedback calmly and I was responding aggressively, I would look like the aggressor, mm-hmm. even though you were the person who said the thing that hurt my feelings. So yeah. if I respond to you with a reaction as opposed to a response, I start to look like the crazy person in the room as opposed to if no matter what you said, if I go, that's an interesting perspective. Thank you for that. Suddenly now people look at you as the crazy person in the room and I'm the good leader who just was just like, yeah, sure, Felicia, whatever you say. The perspective of that. And and it's, it's super important that it's not just about your feelings and how you respond, you know, you reacting. It's also about how other people see you. And I don't think a lot of people notice that or are are clear about about that that. in their work lives at least obviously it's it's also the case in in people's personal lives but how you react in the room when other people are watching you yeah i i wish more people would think about that just to 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 do better by themselves in that regard yeah yeah absolutely and i'm sorry i'm gonna leave it i know we're still over time i'm gonna leave leave us with one more little thing which is i have in my mind an imaginary onesie of every single leader that i love so when I don't know how to comport myself in my next meeting, I try on these onesies, like literally, okay, here's the onesie of this leader that I loved. What would he do? Okay, here's the one, nah, that was, you know, maybe that's not the right look for this one. Here's the onesie of another leader that I love. What would she do? How would she react? And it gives me this palette of ways to respond within a meeting that I can sort of, you know, pull on and off as needed, depending on what the situation is. So observing how other leaders lead is really useful for you to develop your own Uh toolkit. And it sounds like becoming a leader has definitely positively impacted your personal life as well. You were talking about like, this is great for your, your, your marriage as well. Yeah. Marriage, right. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's, there's a million takeaways uh, that I have from this particular talk, but the one that's like just resonating in my mind is picturing, I, I have four small children and cooking dinner is like that shit's crazy. <laughs> and if I figure out how to turn that into meditation, yeah. man, I, I'm just sitting here like this would be, in, my kids would hate me by the time I was done cooking, but uh, but I would be uh, good to go. But, you know, uh. you've got the running way, the mountain run uh, approach that's to right. meditation. That's, and I'm like, no, yeah, that's because that's how I get. It's like I drove to the mountains. I'm still not far enough away from the noise, so I'm just gonna run <laughs> into them and see what, see if I can get far enough yeah. that way. Well, Amy, where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more? I am absolutely available on LinkedIn and nowhere else. Okay, I'll okay. put your LinkedIn profile in the in the notes, <laughs> and I will get back uh, with you to get the link to that video about the submarine. Because yeah, I yeah thank you so much. You're gonna this love was, it. This was great. Thanks for joining Kendall, us. Rachel, it was really a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for scheduling this. Thank you.